Thank you for joining us today. Whether you are part of the Lighthouse family, be it on-site with us weekly or tuning in online, we'd love to connect with you via our social media at Lighthouse Ely. It's on all our social media platforms. I hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Amen. You know, the power of the presence of the Lord is here. Emily could just soak that in and allow the Spirit just to move amongst us. You know, we're not trying to stir up you emotionally, but how can you not get emotional in the presence of God? How can you not just, thank you, um, allow God's Spirit to to change you, to touch you, and to, to really bring that home. Um, so thank you. Thank you, band. Um, I'm going to talk about God's metric. He loves the metric, not the imperial system, apparently. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, we've been talking about forgiveness. That's the last message. Um, we were talking about Joseph and unforgiveness and and forgiveness and unforgiveness and how unforgiveness can bind you up and, and you know, how the Lord wants to set you free. And um, I've been doing a master's degree. I don't know if any of you know that. Um, it seems like I've been doing it for years and years and years and today is the last day. So... Um, Dashing home after church to click submit on that uh, on that final dissertation. It's only like fifty-eight pages or something. You know, it's not. <laughs> yeah, that's all six, sixteen thousand words. I think I've got to. Um, so it reminds me. You know, when the kids were young, um, it was about twenty odd years ago. I first started seriously studying, and I was at Bible school. And it was year 2000 or 1999, seems like forever ago. So my kids were very young and Ros was studying as well. And uh, that pressure of, of having all of that going on, having young children and studying. And, uh, you know, I think now, uh, later on in life, it's, I thought, oh, now's the time to do the Masters. You know, 20 years go by, let's, let's now do the Masters um, because there's less pressure. And I'm not sure that's true at all. Um, but this is, this is quite academic, and uh, I've never seen myself as an academic in that sense. And um, lots of the comments and feedback I get is, stop preaching in your academic essay. And um, so, but, you know, for me, it's about um, study to show yourself approved. And it's about taking that time and that opportunity to read God's word and, and to really think about um, what, what you believe and think about, um, how you can articulate what you believe, and does your then belief is it stop there, or is it does it flow out into your actions? I was listening to um, Dr. Nathan's uh, sermon a couple of weeks ago, and uh, if you haven't listened to that one, really have a, have a listen because he really does explain what faith in action and, and the belief. You know, we can say we believe something, but uh, what, what does our actions look like? You know, and how do we work that out? And I remember, I'll tell you a little story. I'm sitting, um, just starting out, this was 20 years ago in, in Bible school, and I'm feeling the pressure. I'm feeling like I've made a huge sacrifice to, to do this, to give myself. It was 20-something hours a week, um, so it was every morning, and then every evening I'd work until about 11 o'clock at night, 
And um, I'm sitting in class, and I'm just... Uh, this is relevant to my sermon when I get to it. Um, I'm looking around the classroom, and there's a lot of people in a similar position, and I'm trying to judge whether I've made a bigger sacrifice to be here than they have. And, um, you know, and it was... You know, you can't compare, can you? Sometimes we think others have got it easier, and then we can kind of feel sorry for ourselves, or we think, you know, how are they doing it? And then we stop complaining and just crack on with life and, and get on with it. Um, but I remember one of the first messages that we, we had um, from, from the pastor, Pastor Robert there, was stay. Was stay. Stay with it. Stick with it. And, um, you know, that kind of tied in with are we willing to give to sacrifice what we what we sacrifice in order to uh, improve in order to change in order to grow it seems that sacrifice is just part of our our everyday isn't it it's you know when you you you, you put money away or savings you, you know that is sacrifice you're sacrificing what you could spend today for for later and uh, when we give our time to study, when we give our time to the Lord, you know, we might think, you know, this is, this is too much, you know. But actually, what, when you have a vision of what that sacrifice is giving you and what that investment is probably a more modern word, isn't it? Um, what that investment, I would encourage us to invest now and then reap later. You know, it's a very biblical principle, isn't it? Sowing and reaping and seeing what. Um, you know, we're putting into us. And I think that when I'm preaching, when I'm writing, you know, when I'm, I'm speaking to you guys, what I'd like to do is just invest in you guys something, you know. And I might talk about unforgiveness or like, like today, um, and you think, well, that's not a problem for me because I, I love everybody. I'm always walking in love and I'm always walking in forgiveness and nothing anyone can do to me could really throw me out of that. But, you know, you, you kind of remember these things, don't you? You remember the scriptures, and then um, the Holy Spirit kind of brings those scriptures to life in you. You know, sometimes they're kind of stored up like treasures, aren't they? And then when we need them, you know, we're, we're able to operate into that. So I think when we invest in ourselves, when we invest in God's Word, you know, the Holy Spirit then brings back those teachings and remembrance to us. And then it's like, wow, I had the... I had the strength that I need. I had that scripture, you know, that just comes to me. And well, where did that come from? It's like because you put it in. And and I think sometimes we we get out what we put in. Or you know, I mean, if we don't put it in, we don't get it out. Um, and that kind of links into what I was saying. Um, but that message, you know, from pastors to stay, to stay was to be grounded and to be planted. And I think that about our church. I think, you know, this is, this is my church, our church. My role is often to stand up here, and my role is to stand back there and do the PA. I'm doing both today. Um, but that's, that's my role, but this is my church. You know, and, and I'm grounded in here, and I'm planted in here. And, and I think there's something about staying, isn't there, and staying grounded, staying planted, because that's how we grow. You know, if we're always being uprooted, if we're always, you know, dashing here to there, you know, it's like, well, give it time for the, the roots to grow and, 
you know, make sure you've got the water and the manure and all. I don't know where I'm going with that metaphor. You know, make sure you've got all the nutrients. There you go, nutrients. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, you know, invest, you know, stay planted and stay and allow the Holy Spirit to, to grow. And, you know, a tree, uh, forget the sermon, the tree, you know, has those rings around it, doesn't it? And, and it, uh, so there's times of year where it doesn't grow and it gets hard. And then, you know, when you chop a tree, you can kind of see how many years old it is because those times when it's kind of the bark is, is then, but then it grows again. And, you know, sometimes in our lives we can look back and think, well, that's, that was the difficult times. That was the challenging times. But look how I've grown. Look what influence I've got. Jesus said the, the smallest seed, the mustard seed, grows to the, the biggest tree and the birds nest in it. And, you know, anyway. You might notice a little croaky voice. Shout out to Tom. Thank you for sharing. I thought we were close, brother, but, you know. Share and share alike. Um, what are we talking about? Forgiveness. We're talking about forgiveness. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about forgiveness. And I think I said something like, when we understand the love of God and understand how much we've been forgiven, you know, we're able to live that life of forgiveness. This morning, I'm talking about God's metric and what standard of measurement does God use? And Jesus often criticized the religious people of his day and uh, because they would say one thing, um, but actually their lives or their hearts were not in it. You know, he, he gives examples like you, you like this tomb that's whitewashed. It looks great on the outside, but dead on the inside. And, and Jesus said to his disciples once, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. So the, although they were pious on the outside, he would say things like... Um, Listen to what they say, but don't follow what they do. And I think that's a huge indictment on the religious people of that day. You know, because their lives say one thing, but their hearts, you know, their, 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 their mouths say one thing, but actually inside um, it's, it's just disgusting. And, and God's in the business of, of cleaning up the inside. You know, he says, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. You know, you're not defiled by what goes in, but you're defiled by what comes out. So guard your heart above all things. Um, outwardly, you see, the religious people seemed pious, but Jesus was able to judge their hearts and their intentions. Didn't just look on the outward appearance. He says this in John 7:24. He says, don't judge um, merely on the outward appearance. And then if we're going to talk about God's metric, we're talking about by what standard does God judge. And I think we're, we're better, very much better, to leave the judging to God, to leave it to, to Christ. He says, listen, I'll, seat, I'll be seated on the throne and I'm the one that's going to judge the living and the dead. Um, but is it appropriate to make judgments or to judge others? And if it's appropriate, what qualifies us to be that judge? Christ, the ultimate judge, because Christ is the ultimate standard of perfection. That's the point, isn't it? That perfection is always a judge. You know, we might look at someone's Instagram and we can see their complexion and we can see how their perfection of their complexion, and we might think, that's perfect. And then we look in the mirror and we think, well, I'm not perfect. So that perfection then becomes a judge to us. 
But then what we don't realize is all of that is airbrushed and, you know, it's, it's just not real. And, um, but God is the ultimate judge because God is the ultimate perfection. This is why Christ has to be the example for us if we're going to live a godly life. You know, and we can come unstuck when we look at the pastor, the leader, we look at the celebrity pastors that we see on the, on the television and we think, wow, look at them, look how many followers they've got, look how many, uh, what a big deal they are, look at their private jets, and we think, you know, that's the way to, <laughs> that's the way to go. But um, the human beings are infallible and the, and the church then gets all confused and messed up because these so-called um, super apostles, you know, Paul would sarcastically, I'm sure, call them, um, you know, are fallible, and they fall, and then they, you know, people that we have, you know, revered or listened to, or we've held up there in high esteem, then we find out they're just human beings, because we only see what's on the outside, we don't see what's going on, we don't know what um, they've been struggling with, so these comparisons, well, they're not really very helpful, uh, especially on social media, we always see people at their best, or we see a version of themselves that they wish to present to others. But we don't know what suffering they're going through. We don't know what hardships they're having. There's the old adage, isn't there? Before you judge a man, walk a mile in their shoes. Um, we don't know what's going on. Besides, if, you're, if you've got their shoes and you're a mile away, then yeah, you can certainly easily judge them. That's not very funny, I know. But thank you at the back for laughing. You know, what, what metric are, are we using and what standard do we think that we're going to make it? And if we're comparing ourselves with someone else, we can say, well, at least I'm not as bad as. You know, it's like the old joke, isn't it, where the two hunters are running from a lion and the one says, you know, we're never going to outrun this lion. And the other, the other one says, no, I just have to outrun you. I don't have to outrun the lion. Um, but that's the point, isn't it? You know, I'm going to make it as long as I'm not as slow, as long as I'm not as bad as that person, and then I'm going to make it. I uh, just have to outrun you. And we may think we're okay because, you know, we've used a comparison or a, or a judgment that we're not as bad as something else. We think we can make it. And these are human standards. When Samuel was choosing a new king, he appointed David, and the Lord said to him, Do not judge by outward appearances. You know, the Lord judges by the heart. And I think that's the metric that, you know, we, we go by, isn't it? The ultimate judge is the Lord. And we ask ourselves, well, what qualifies us to judge anyway? Are we quick to condemn others? Do we judge others by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions? How many have got into an argument because I said I didn't mean it like that? And then, but you said it. Yeah, but that wasn't my heart, that wasn't my intention. But you still said it, and you're in trouble, aren't you? Because you're thinking, my intention was not to offend, my intention was not to upset, that just came out wrong. Um, but the other person can't see what's in our hearts and instantly takes a disliking to us. You know, Paul in his writings, uh, especially in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he was judged for being an insufficient leader. They, by the church in Corinth, and he writes to them and, and says to them, who are you comparing to? You know, you're comparing yourselves to yourselves. Of course, you're going to sound great 
And besides, you know, Paul was this weak, uh, not attractive to look at, and he didn't speak well, and um, they just had so many issues with him. But the problem was that they thought that they were something, and even claiming credit for, for what Paul had founded, and boasting in it. Um, but their metric, which they compared themselves to themselves, you know, and not comparing themselves to Christ, Paul says, this is not wise. And there were so many problems in that church. And they didn't appreciate Paul's bold letters and how he kind of rebuked them. And then when he turns up, he's this different person. And uh, their expectations, Paul begins to turn upside down. And he said, actually, I'll own my weaknesses. I'll boast in my weaknesses because then and only then can Christ's strength be manifest uh, or revealed in me. So what about judging? How do we make judgments? There's a scripture that's often quoted when people feel like they want to justify their behavior and often out of context or you know, if they're feeling judged by someone else, they quote this. This is Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be measured back to you. So this follows on from the idea of forgiveness, doesn't it? It's you know, the measure with which we're able to forgive, the parable I, I spoke about a couple of weeks ago. But this is talking about here God's metric and how God decides. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6, he says, the point is this, one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. One who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So it's this idea is that you know, you put one seed in the ground, you're going to get one plant. You're going to get so much fruit from that. But if we are able to forgive, we're able to give, we're able to um, increase that measure by which we're able to do something, it comes back to us. And I think Jesus is describing, this is just a natural thing of how the world works. Um, this thought of Jesus about um, judging and not judging is also in Mark chapter 4 and Matthew 7. So it's in actually three of the, the, three of the Gospels. And also there comes, you know, with, in John 7 as well. Um, so it's, it's got to be important that it's in all of these things. And it's often part of a bigger teaching that Jesus is talking about in the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are blessed are the poor and meek. It's uh, for they shall, see, uh, they shall see God. So it's part of a bigger picture. And it's part of uh, how the gospel, how Jesus is turning the world's expectations upside down. And it's almost like we need to check our values against the teachings of Christ. Things like go the extra mile, turn the other cheek, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. You know, the one who's greatest has to be the servant of all. And laying down your life actually brings true life. And Mark follows up with, uh, in his version, he, he talks about how the smallest seed, the mustard seed, 
grows to the largest tree. So the, the parable is, is saying is what you think is small and insignificant in God's kingdom is actually big. You know, where you think, you're thinking this way, but it is this way. And it's this Jesus turning things upside down. He's also talking about how, just how the world works. You know, sowing and reaping just happens, doesn't it? Uh, in Mark, he says it like this, Mark 4.24. He said to them, pay attention to what you hear. The measure you give will be measure you get. And still more will be given to you. For those who have, more will be given. And for those who have nothing, even what they will have will be taken away. I used to read that and I think, man, that's harsh. You know, why would Jesus favor this way of operating? And I think Jesus is just saying that's how the world works. You know, it's true. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer. It's economics. And I don't think economics has changed much, um, or the principles of it have changed much in all those years. But I'm not sure Jesus is endorsing it. Like when he says, the poor you'll always have with you. It's not like he's saying, listen, I want to make sure people are poor all the time. Um, I think he's just saying, it's just that's how the world works. The world works in sowing and reaping. It's the measure you get in is the measure you get out. In, in, in computing terms, I think this was coined in the mid-50s, it says, what you put in, you get out. Garbage in, garbage out. Do you remember that? Rubbish in, rubbish out. It's a computer term uh, from the 1950s. And it was like, if you put in bad programming or errors, what you're going to get back is errors. You know, what you put in is what you get out. This is the way that economics works. And it hasn't changed much um, since the 50s or even since Jesus' time. But it, it seems to be that the more liberal that we are at giving the more bountiful it is that we receive. In Matthew 7, I'm not going to finish this sermon today. You're all looking at your watches worried. I've got another 17 pages going on here. It's not quite a dissertation, but uh, I've got quite a few to go. Anyway, I'll do a part two. But Matthew adds this, seven, Matthew 7, 12 to 14. He says, In everything you do to others... In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. This is called the, the golden rule, isn't it? And that's also turning around the expectations because normally we would think, well, if you do it to me, I'm going to get you back. You know, I'm waiting to see how you treat me before I decide how I'm going to treat you. But Jesus said, no, no, it's the other way around. In everything you do to others, do to others as you would have them do to you. So it's almost like we have to be the forgiving. For we have to be the ones that give first. Um, as for this is the law and the prophets. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction and many take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life and few find it. And I think we do find this, you know, that the easy way is to be reactive to when people hurt us, you know, rather than to be proactive, you know, to begin to treat others first. Do as you would do to others as you would have them do to you. It's the upside down, opposite way of thinking than taking revenge. But this is a noble path, Jesus says, and it leads to life, but it's a narrow road. Um, and where there is a choice between narrow and broad, we have to make a judgment. You know, when we're talking about how we 
make a judgment, you know, we see maybe two parts, then we have to decide. And you have to be able to judge. So when Jesus is saying, judge not, I don't think he's saying, don't use judgment. And I think Jesus, throughout his uh, teachings, would encourage people to judge or to make judgments and to, to make those in a wise way. I think it's one commentator said, you know, it's more about the measurement than it's about how we judge. It's about looking at God's metric for judging others rather than not judging at all. For the same measure, you'll be given back to you. So if we judge someone from an evil heart, if we judge someone from uh, you know, the point of view that we want to take revenge, you know, we take, often that could be taking the easy route. But the narrow, the difficult route is to forgive or to forgive first or to give first and to sow those things. You know, if we judge unrighteously from an evil heart, then we should not be surprised that that judgment is received back to us and reflected back to us. If we've sown it, we'll reap it. And I think Jesus is saying this is how the world works. We make judgments and assumptions every day. We, we wouldn't be able to think unless we could make a judgment. So Jesus is referring to something else that's going on here. And I just want to close with this um, uh, couple of thoughts on this. And I'll have to pick this up another time. I think if we are self-aware and that we're able to judge ourselves, if we're able to say, is my heart evil towards this person? Is this why I'm making this judgment? Or is my heart free from offence? Is my heart forgiving and loving towards that person? Then maybe in my judgment, I can correct them. You know, Paul says, you know, if you're going to judge, and co- if you're going to correct someone, do it in the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Do it because you want to win that brother or sister. And Paul says, one thing is really interesting, when he's talking about communion um, to the Corinthians, they were turning up, some of them were overeating, some people weren't getting any food, there were a difference between the rich and the poor. So when they came for, together for the communion meal, he says, look, some of you are drunk, and that's, that's not what it's about. Some of you have got food and some of you haven't. And he says, you're drinking of the cup in an unworthy manner, reprimanding them for getting drunk and overeating. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. But he says this, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 31 to 32. He said, but if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. For when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So it's not that judging is forbidden, but I think there's wisdom and there's wise judgment and I think there's godly judgment. You know, if we are to criticize somebody and then Jesus shows his hands and his feet and he says, well, listen, I, my blood paid for their sin. I forgave you, why can't you forgive them? And it's like, it's like playing trumps with Jesus and he shows you the cross card. You know, it trumps everything. He's the top trump, isn't he? He's saying, have you suffered yet to bloodshed? No. <laughs> but he says, judge ourselves, especially when it comes to the Lord's table. And we don't want to eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. 
No, we want to consider others. We want to think about others. And that's Paul's correction. And there's many to the church in Corinth, but that's just one of them. And I am closing. I don't know if you got this one, John 16. No. John 16, Jesus says in verse 7 to 11, he says, I tell you the truth. It's your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the advocate or the helper will not come. But if I do go, I will send him to you. This is the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you will see me no longer. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I think as Christians, we're meant to have the Holy Spirit helping us in all these things. And we might look at our Christian brother or sister and think, well, why haven't they sorted out that problem in their life? And you kind of have to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to deal with it, like the Holy Spirit deals with us. What is the Holy Spirit talking to us about our lives? Because when we turn over the judgment to the Lord... We see that the Lord turned over the judgment to the Holy Spirit of righteousness, of sin, and of judgment. Judgment is for the ruler of this world. And we don't want to be judged along with him. Absolutely not. We want to be judged righteous when we stand before the throne of God. What is the metric that we are judged by? How can we, in our humanness, be judged perfect in the eyes of God. Well, un- under that standard of perfection, we don't have a chance. But you notice he says, we have an advocate. We have someone that speaks on our behalf. You know, the scripture says there's no fear in judgment because perfect love has cast out all fear. And the truth is, we'll all face the judgment seat of Christ. And for those that are been saved from judgment or saved from wrath... Uh, Romans 1, I'll have to get into that next time. Those who have been saved from wrath, you know, by Christ Jesus, have that advocate to say, this one belongs to me. But what about less sin? And Jesus is like, I took it. I took it. And if we think we're going to make it in our own strength, by our own efforts, you know, we're mistaken. But we can only make it by falling upon the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I tell you, knowing your sins are forgiven. Apostle Paul says, I know no charge against myself, but it's not that which justifies me, it's the Lord. And I have to fall upon the grace of God. Maybe we're sitting here and we've been judged and it hurts. And we've been maybe even feeling condemned. And the worst thing is, it's probably true. You know, being misjudged is bad, isn't it? But being judged guilty, and we can go, well, yeah, I am guilty. And I think if we thought about it, that we are guilty of the body and blood of Jesus that it was our sin that put him there. That, that's, that's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? 
But he took the handwriting, the requirements of the law, the charges against us, and he nailed them to the cross. And it's by faith that we accept these things. We accept Jesus into our lives. We accept his, his loving kindness. We accept that he is the God of justice. But we also accept the wrath of God was satisfied in Christ Jesus. That he took the punishment for our sin. We thought it was his own sin, but it was ours that he was bruised. And maybe you haven't done that. Maybe you just, I don't know, not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. I Do it today. Do it today. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I repent of my sin. And you don't have to give a list of sins as in, you know, you forget one and God doesn't deal with that one. No, it's about that sinful way of life that I want to turn around from. And I want to start on a new path. And does that mean that we don't look back or we don't slip? You know, we're human. But it does mean that we rely upon his grace and his love. And the Holy Spirit will help us and guide us. If there's areas in our life that are unrighteous or areas in our life that are are sinful, areas that we've missed the mark, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and say, Lord, forgive me. And he does. He says the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Amen? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and what you did for us on the cross. I thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit speaking to us now. And Lord, we give all judgment over to you because it all belongs to you. All glory belongs to you. Lord, that we don't boast in ourselves, but we boast in, even in our weaknesses that we can see your strength manifest in us. That we can boast in what you've done in us and what you're working in us. And you're bringing us to a place of freedom. You're bringing us to a place of forgiveness. And I thank you, Lord, that we have been forgiven so much that we're able to forgive others. And it will be given back to us, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Will God pour his love and his forgiveness into our hearts? Help us, Lord, to share this with everybody we meet. In Jesus' name, amen.